Welcome to the Organizing Ideas podcast. I'm Karen. And I'm Allison. And we're two new librarians slash archivists and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing, how libraries and archives are never neutral, and what we mean when we say that knowledge is power. We are recording today on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Today, our guest is our friend and classmate, Avi Gretner. Avi is a dual archival studies and library and information studies student at the University of British Columbia. And the three of us started at UBC in the same September 2017 cohort, full of lovely people, some of whom listen to this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Avi is a student librarian at Waywall Library and the volunteer coordinator at Out on the Shelves Library. We are excited to talk with Avi today about queer and radical knowledge organization. So our first question for you is, can you start by telling us a bit about Out on the Shelves? What is it? Where is it? Definitely. Um, Out on the Shelves is Vancouver's local community-led, volunteer-led uh, queer library. It's just a community space. Uh, and it was founded in on April 1st, 1983. And it's been in relationship with the with community, which is Vancouver's Queer Community Center uh, downtown. It's had some kind of relationship with that since its inception up until a few years ago. Um, and then when community decided that they didn't have the capacity to run it anymore, they started looking for another way to host the collection. And a couple of SLACE students, a couple of UBC high school students, um, volunteered to take it on. We ended up, this is slightly before my time, but I <laughs> uh, ended up building a relationship with the UBC resource groups, which are uh, student-led groups. Um, there's Color Connected and the Women's Center and the Pride Center, um, that kind of thing. Um, and so we share some space with them. We uh, take care of their collections kind of separately from ours, and then we have that space on campus, but we're not technically associated with UBC. I think that's the basic rundown. We have books, zines, and a few DVDs, um, a decent graphic novel collection. <laughs> Those are very popular. And yeah, we are just have volunteers running it. And So for someone who had never visited Out on the Shelves before, uh, they walk in or enter this space, it's like, tell us, what's it like? Yeah, it's a bunch of shelves <laughs> with books on it. It's a very small space, um, and it's just filled with um, our kind of priority is uh, items, material that is specifically queer-centered and hopefully own voices uh, written by people who are related to the subjects that they're talking about in some way. Um, so we we don't just collect like anything that a queer person has written. There has to be like a substantial queer content just because we have such limited space. That's kind of the uh, limit that we have. And, and anyone can mm -hmm. come and visit and borrow stuff? Yes, and... anybody's willing, welcome to come and borrow. We will basically give cards to anyone. There's not really a um, physical 
limitation, just that you're able to bring the books back mm-hmm. uh, by the time that they're due. That's really all that we <laughs> care about. Yeah. Awesome. How did you get involved in Out on the Shelves? What, what do you do there? We um, uh, personally. had... Personally. Yes. <laughs> uh, who was it? It was um, Casey and Cinders, who were the students who took on the collection. They uh, presented on Out on the Shelves during orientation uh, for like the LASA, the, the student organization orientation for the iSchool. And... I heard about it and just signed up for the mailing list and then went to a meeting and started volunteering. And after about a year, um, as happens when you are largely run by students, people graduated and had to move on and go move for their jobs. And so they were looking for coordinators and I volunteered. And (laughs) I've been a co-coordinator uh, first, one of th- one of four, one of three, and now I'm one of five co-coordinators here, kind of making the the main decisions and making sure that things keep going. So it's like collecting, kind of like collecting books and acquiring. Like, is that kind of a collective process, or like how does that work? Yeah, we have a vague collections <laughs> development policy that was largely established for weeding the books that we inherited from the original Out on the Shelves collection. And we follow that while we basically work on donations. So um, we get emails or people coming up to us at events and offering things they've written or things they have. Um, And then we kind of say, this is what we're looking for and take what we can. Um, And so all the volunteers should have like a solid knowledge of what that is, or they can look at our policies and find out so really anyone who's working the desk can reply to those emails and kind of facilitate that part. So you mentioned you were working on um, a queer subject heading thesaurus so before we get into that because that sounds honestly really really cool can you explain what a subject heading thesaurus is (laughs) yes i can do my best (laughs) yeah so subject heading thesauri are a type of controlled language which is basically just a set of established approved terminology that you will use to describe an item basically mm-hmm. I guess because there's like a lot of words to categorize or like to describe mm-hmm. you know a thing and so a thesaurus from what I remember is like yeah that controlled language so that we're mm-hmm. not all kind of throwing different words like we can all end up finding the same mm-hmm. the thing that we want to find yeah, yeah that's the hope um that is the but, hope yeah so thesauri are hierarchical so the, the terms have relationships with each other that are described in the thesaurus to kind of help you navigate and figure out what terms best apply. And they're basically used by two groups. They're used by catalogers, Mm -hmm. who are the people who are sitting down. um, At On the Shelves, we copy catalog, so we import records from other institutions. And then we have the ability to kind of edit those records however we see fit. So the catalogers with out on the shelves can apply subject headings or edit the ones that have come in on these imported records. And then they're also used by library users. 
and originally when subject headings started, it was mostly used by kind of really intentional like researchers because those were the people who had familiarized themselves with the terminology for mm -hmm. like specific purposes. But um, with the like full text searching that is available on most online catalogs and on ours, you can kind of just put in your terms and if the term happens to be in a subject heading, it'll get picked. But you can also click through and see like the other items that have had that subject heading applied. So those are kind of the main Yeah, how people use them. it. Yeah. Can you give us an example of what, like, of a subject heading that would be in your thesaurus? Sure. For example. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot. <laughs> but, like... Pick one. Yeah. Do you have a favorite subject heading? <laughs> what a um, nerdy question. <laughs> I really do. This is not related to Out on the Shelves, but um, I was doing cataloging with Weiwa, and I found a book that had the subject heading Homes and Haunts. Ooh. And I was like, what in the world does this mean? And it was like a very specific meaning, and it did not apply to this book, which happens a lot with indigenous materials. Like, people just kind of don't know what to do with them. Anyway. That's, that well, that's was, one of the problems with subject headings, yeah. right? Like, people come up with these words, yeah. and so, you know, if you... Yeah. If you look <laughs> no, at it, you totally think it right. means one thing, and it totally means something else. Yeah. yeah um, like, source notes or scope notes are really important for that. Um, I tried to incorporate pretty detailed ones in ours, too. Just, it's... <laughs> you could see the, the sources becoming, like, a pedagogical tool to kind of show people how to uh, approach the knowledge that's being addressed in the thesaurus, um, which can be an advantage or <laughs> a disadvantage. Um, subject headings are often like a tool for ascribing a certain worldview mm -hmm. to information. Yeah. I feel like you asked a question. I didn't answer it. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of somebody who maybe doesn't use subject headings ever. Mm -hmm. So what would be for out on the shelves of like, can you pick an example of one and we can maybe think about like what is a, that subject heading what might be a, a broader term or a narrower term for it that kind of thing yeah I can yeah I think actually um the identity terminology that we're using would be a good example of that so this is a whole area that I had to decide how I was going to approach it um because identity is fluid and the ways that we talk about it is fluid um so there's this act of making a solid, like, written down in, in ink kind of this decision. Is this is what it use. is. This is how it relates to other people. But um, part of what we do is, um, or what this system is supposed to do, is to be changeable. Um, and it's very explicitly stated that you should, like, anybody is free to um, to work with, the community to change things when whenever what I've done doesn't apply to the community anymore. Mm -hmm. That being said, <laughs> um, I chose to um, make subject headings for just gender and sexuality identities. Um, and they're all nested under the, um, the heading of queer people. Okay, so that's like the broadest. That's the term. broadest one. Okay. And that honestly should not be used a lot because the implication is that everything in our collection is about queer people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's really for just 
there are always exceptions to rules, so that's why it's there. Um, and then it's it's there to kind of gather all of the identities that were mm-hmm. identifying at the time. Um, and the choice for that was to include all the identities that are in the um, initialism, is that the word for it? Yeah. <laughs> Within the, the alphabet of identities that <laughs> we use. So out on the shelves uses LGBT2QIA. Okay. Um, and so all of those, so it's uh, lesbians. I, I've changed the way that the terms are written in Library of Congress subject headings, because mm-hmm. in Library of Congress, you have the heading gays, yeah. which is this very like othering kind of term. It's not the way that, yeah. unless we're joking, it's not really the way <laughs> yeah. that we talk about yeah. ourselves. Yeah, and it's very of a certain era. Like you exactly. can tell like when that was added by what word was yeah. used. Yeah, you really can. <laughs> um, and we also, we found that I did some analysis of the headings that we had in our system already, and we found that that term was pretty indiscriminately applied to like gay men and also anyone else who is some kind of gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of their broad term, but it didn't have a narrower term for mm-hmm. gay men. Right. So we have lesbians, gay men, bisexual people, and transgender people, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so those would all be one level narrower than queer people? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then do you go another level narrower in any of those that you might give people as like another example? or? Yes, so one of the more interesting things to get to do, and it was kind of fun as a non-binary person and genderqueer person, was that we have the term transgender people, and then we have a narrower term for non-binary people, Mm -hmm. um, which I personally felt was important because being welcomed into the trans community and being, when I was younger... I would say, oh, I'm non-binary, but I'm not trans. And, like, having binary trans people, like, say, no, you're you're one of us, you're welcome here, that was really important to me. So being able to say, like, we're a part of the same group, we have differences, but we're, mm-hmm. like, together, and that was important to me. And then I also have um, genderqueer as a term that's related. It's a related mm-hmm. topic because genderqueer means so much that, there's lots of people who are gender non-conforming and don't identify as trans but they could so there's a little bit of nuance there hopefully that will help people see the links between these groups but never say you have to be one thing or the other Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah that's awesome I feel like that (laughs) what you've just described will will help people who don't work with subject headings really like kind of visualize how these things relate Mm -hmm. and how if you were looking for a book with uh, you know that talks about non-binary people like mm-hmm. now you have a very specific subject heading you can search and if you're not finding what you want you could go exactly a level broader look. or mm-hmm. go to the related term that kind of thing yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay cool we have uh, okay. established what a subject heading <laughs> the source was which was when you told us this is what you wanted to talk about i was like oh dear <laughs> Big back in memory um yeah. go back to okay so you decided to do this project what was like the goal was to create this thing did you do it all by yourself? How did you, how did you go about this thing? <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's a big thing. It definitely did not start off with this product in mind. Okay. Um, so it started with um, Cinder's Lucinda Murray, who was one of the 
first people from Slice to work with out on the shelves. Um, she really like was one of the people who made it come into being as it is now. Um, and she wrote a proposal to the iSchool for a professional experience, um, which is one of our experiential learning options um, where basically you have somebody from the school work with an organization on some kind of project. Mm-hmm. And so she proposed a project that was reviewing the um, online subject access for our collection. Mm-hmm. That was particularly important because we have um, our location on UBC, which is kind of isolating. Um, and it is a lot to ask of people to just come from you know East Van all the way out here and then not know if they're going to find anything they actually want to check out. So it was that was a priority was to make sure that our online presence is as helpful as possible in getting people to the information they might want. So she wrote that proposal and then we kind of brought it up with volunteers and saw who wanted to work on it and I ended up being the person to work on it. Um, so I did a professional experience and I did a lot, a lot, a lot of research um, and then basically made a proposal that I brought to all the volunteers of different options for how to handle our online subject access. That was based on kind of understandings of our strengths and our weaknesses and what we personally want our system to do because um, there's basically no way to have an information organization system that works for all people all the time. And so it was less about saying, um, so this is one of my like foundational texts was uh, Querying the Catalog by Emily Dravinsky, who is mm-hmm. awesome, super awesome. <laughs> um, and it talks about the kind of instinct that we've had to correct existing systems, to go into Library of Congress and to change headings that are racist or homophobic. And that at some point that is working to kind of like obscure the harm of the overall system. And that correction kind of stops people from being able to think critically about systems overall. Um, And so like a queering approach as in queer theory kind of approach would be to um, look at other ways of interjecting with the system instead of just correcting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that, like one of the most important things for me was that there's kind of, there's there's a value to saying like, let's hold these systems accountable. And there's also value to saying, we're gonna make something that works better for us, not best, but better for now. Um, So part of my proposal was saying, here are kind of the values that I see in our library and in our community. How can we support that? Mm -hmm. Um, So I did that. (laughs) And there were a lot of options looking at both our subject headings. And also we have a user tagging system, Mm -hmm. um, which is, I mean, people are really familiar with those, even if they don't realize they are. It's like how you can 
tag your tweets with a hashtag of anything you want. Um, and then if you go through that hashtag, you see all the things that people have put together under that heading. So it's, it's the same thing, um, just in a library catalog setting. Mm-hmm. And the volunteers, all the feedback I got, people were really excited about the idea of a thesaurus. So that's what I went with. I said, okay, that's what you want me to do. That's what I will do. <laughs> and then I did it eventually. <laughs> I'm curious, like, are there other, um, I guess, other projects or, like, thesauri out there that are similar or, like, in other places mm-hmm. that, like, did you, like, when you did research, research um, did you find any other systems like that? Yeah, there's some. Um, there's a decent handful of, like, community queer libraries throughout um, North America and some other places, but I mostly looked at stuff that I could read mm-hmm. in English. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> that's the limitation I have. Um, we did have Amber worked on a different project um, about our, like, on-the-shelf classification, and she talked a lot with, there's a queer library in Montreal. She speaks French, so she just, like, had a conversation with the librarian in French and got all this information that I never would have been able to get. Um, yeah, they have a... I believe they have a classification system, but not a separate subject heading system. Um, the Kinsey Institute has a, a sexuality subject heading thesaurus, but it um, just wasn't. It was so much more from like a academic and medical perspective that mm-hmm. it just didn't quite work for us. Um, that was pretty much it. Like the. If people are doing other stuff, it's not really being advertised. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, like, the norm is so much right now is for OCLC using copy cataloging, like, kind of the <laughs> homogenization of all of our description. Right. So we didn't, yeah, there, there, there were some options, but especially since we were planning on incorporating change as like a fundamental aspect it didn't really we didn't find another thing that worked for us yeah Mm -hmm. have you had or maybe after this you know famous podcast episode (laughs) you will have but have you had people approach you interested in like looking at it or learning from it for their libraries or too soon we did have someone who was very early on in um a part of the new ad on the shelves, yeah. um, who graduated that, that year, who um, her library is, I believe she uses she, her, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure. Um, but that library is looking at um, investigating what's going on with their queer subject headings okay. on if they need to do anything. And we're going to meet for coffee soon. Oh, cool. And also, like, bring some of the, the, the new baby, <laughs> uh, the, the new babies from the, uh, this year mm-hmm. of the high school and who are there's a couple who are really interested in cataloging and I'm like yes come with me <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah um, and then we had um, one of my favorite library Twitter people um, Netan El Ganin who is a cataloger with a library of Congress and who mm-hmm. does a lot of um, like crit live work um, who saw a VPL tweeted about us on Valentine's Day. Oh, <laughs> they were cool. like, these are the libraries we love. And they shared it. Mm-hmm. And it mentioned the tweet that they retweeted mentioned our new systems that we're working on. And so he was like, 
can I hear more about this? And then we <laughs> sent him some documentation. That's like, so Here. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's exciting to see people interested in it, and I hope that it will be something that maybe people could adapt for their own purposes if they wanted. Do you want to talk a bit about some of the challenges that you can encounter like while developing this project and the system? Yeah, so when I started this project and I was looking at kind of our the totality of our online classification, um, we looked into the idea of using um, folksonomies for more of our description. What's a folksonomy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so those are uh, taxonomies, systems of classification that are created by the folks, by the, <laughs> by by the, the people, people. crowdsourced kind of thing. So that's the tagging system that we have as one example. Mm-hmm. Um, the other examples are um, archive of our own. Yeah. It has a really solid uh, system in place for letting people tag as they want and then also creating a really robust search engine that can do a lot. It's and very cool. And if someone cool. listening wants to talk to us about it, please send us an email. <laughs> that would be fun. Yes, that would be awesome. Um, it's just like a super interesting project. And yeah. um, my advisor for this, for this because I had a high school supervisor basically who helped me through um and she's done some work with AO3 um yeah shout out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so you considered that or what I was looking at is there's some really interesting systems that are kind of being developed by a lot of people um I was looking at the possibility of having subject headings that are informed by the tagging okay. um, using terminology that's coming from what people are writing naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is that the challenge with that is just that we don't have enough people making tags. Mm. Um, there's kind of, it's the numbers, like you need like thousands before it wow. really um, can kind of stabilize. And mm-hmm. so you can, See get patterns. an idea of the patterns. Um, and then folksonomies also have their own biases, um, which would probably be all right for this situation, but in others it could be really problematic. Um, there's a really cool study of library thing and like how there's biases that come up when you have like a large group of all sorts of people, you still get like the same like majority, when you have a majority of white straight people putting tags on things, you you end up naturally with minority subjects, um, air quotes included, um, yeah, being marginalized in that space too, not really being, uh, not having community terminology used or just not having the same kind of visibility that other subjects do. Mm-hmm. So, especially because Vancouver is so, and the Vancouver queer community can be really white, like, that would be something to really look at. Um, If we did something with that, would be to make sure that we're not Mm -hmm. replicating kind of a white bias. 
And in your initial email to us, you mentioned that you're going through like a beta testing phase right now. Yes. What, do, what does that look like? Because I assume <laughs> that has something to do also with getting the, this feedback from people in other ways. Or... Yeah, definitely. Um, it currently looks like me updating our cataloging manual. Okay. Um, so we're about to start beta testing, basically. Okay, sure. um, and then it will be, we have a kind of a backlog of books that we haven't been working on because I was doing this and we're like, it's so close. You don't want to have to redo right. all of that. Um, that's another ambitious thing that we're doing that we can only do because our collection is pretty small. Um, we have like 3,000 books or so. Um, so we can actually realistically work over time on updating all our records and making sure that the terminology works for the time being. Um, anyway, so... We will have, the plan is to have a cataloging party and to <laughs> invite people over, um, the volunteers over to the library and we will all get together and catalog a bunch of stuff and all of that process will include, um, there's kind of a list of questions that I have about, this is a decision I made, does it work in this scenario, does it not? Just basically asking the volunteers to keep an eye out for things that should be or could be different. Um, and then if there's any major things, like I'll go back to the drawing board and I will fix it. And if there's not, then we'll start using it and it will continue to be a, an ongoing project, but it will kind of be free <laughs> to grow and change however it wants to. So when you mentioned like, um, like the fluidity and mm -hmm. like that changing aspect, is that what you mean? Like you going back and, and making edits and changes that way? Yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, I think so, especially there were a few decisions that I made that um, I had to I had to do research on and obviously like I can't understand all perspectives of all queer people. <laughs> like I have this this boundaried uh, experience and I can bring my perspective into it, but I can't like rely on it for everything. So um, especially decisions on how we are, um, interpreting the term two-spirit. That was like, um, I knew just from experience that um, the Library of Congress definition is kind of a one-sided, outdated understanding of the term. Um, so I believe Library of Congress says, um, I'm trying to remember the exact words that they use. I say, yeah, it is, it is it up. on there somewhere. Two-spirit people. Yeah, and then there's like this, the source note, the scope note on it. Oh. Is it in the, the sources? Yeah, I think. Here are entered works on North American Indians, especially men who assume the dress role and status of the opposite sex. Yeah, so that's one way that someone might be two-spirit. Mm -hmm. um, but the term itself was created by indigenous activists with the intention to create a community-led um, self-expression of many different identities because not all North American indigenous people have the same gender and sexuality roles in their communities. So it was kind of to bring an overarching thing to that community. Um, and that includes people whose traditional role was as like a third gender um, 
and that can be expressed in many different ways depending on the community. Um, but it also could be for just like a queer indigenous person who wants to speak to how those two identities intersect. And I just felt like that definition was really, um, limiting. yeah, limiting. <laughs> yeah. It was just, is very one-sided. So my process was to look at the history of the term and look at how I was, um, thankfully there are indigenous academics and people who are spending their energy on explaining what these things are and exploring what these things are. So I was able to look to those and write a more inclusive uh, scope note and leave evidence of my research in my report so that especially if we have if there's anyone in our community using our library who is two-spirit and feels like I've missed the mark then that's not their responsibility but it is in, oh, like sorry sorry <laughs> no it's fine <laughs> like it's like it so like um um, I was just kind of touching on, you said it's not their responsibility, mm-hmm. but like it's like they're open to sort of approach you or like to make suggestions. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's never the responsibility of anyone to explain their identity to us, but it is the responsibility of the library mm-hmm. to communicate that we value like lived experience and to respond to that kind of feedback, basically. <laughs> yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it changes over time. Yeah, I'm really yeah. curious. I hope I, you know, get to see it. <laughs> um, do you have like a favorite thing from the whole process? Like some like what did you like most about it? Oh boy. We've talked about challenges. Now the <laughs> I feel like I'm the main thing I always think about is like getting to put non binary in a in a thesaurus and yeah, getting to put in terms that I know are important to my community and that aren't usually represented. There's just very something like, ha, ah, about it. Um, yeah, you made me know off the top of your head, but now that I have Library of Congress open, I'm curious, what do they have? What's the closest? Um... Uh, yeah, probably gender non-conforming people is yeah. probably the closest term they have. I also did some work around terminology that, is gendered. This comes from, I looked at the headings that we had in our system already and kind of analyzed what does this actually mean and are these words doing what we want them to do? And one of the headings that we used a lot were actors and actresses. Mm. And for our community, there are non-binary, non-actors or actresses who are working and being written about and we want to have included in our collection. So. I think I changed that to either, like, we have, like, film performers, television performers, theater performers instead. Using performers instead of actors and actresses avoids the tendency to kind of use a male gendered term as a general term and also avoids, like, putting people into a binary inherently. (laughs) So that was the hope with that. Um, and that's also when I have like a set of guidelines that I wrote in addition to the, the my the thesaurus is actually a set of guidelines, a set of approved headings, and then a set of 
basically non-approved headings. It's called Change These. <laughs> um, and it's all the ones that are in Library of Congress that'll come up that like we would want to use our own wording for. Um, and then a set of things to add whenever possible. <laughs> so it's kind of like segmented in a weird way, but it was the best way to make sure that we have a set of approved things that aren't interspersed with harmful language. Yeah. Um, that way, at least, like, if you don't want to deal with that part of it, you don't have to. You can just look at the things that are hopefully being supportive of the community instead of damaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and also I can imagine that with so many different volunteers and over time mm -hmm. people changing, like, there is something, the, the value of subject headings comes from them being applied consistently. Like, if you yeah. want to be able to find things with them. So having those, like, you know, detailed scope notes and very clear, like, use this instead. It, yeah. It'll be so helpful for people. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, part of why we'll want to hopefully develop our um, user tags more in the future is mm -hmm. that I'm trying to balance between that consistency and also kind of a pluralistic approach mm -hmm. um so if you have the set of headings and the set of guidelines on how to use them hopefully that will remain fairly consistent but then we can also have like community interjections like you don't technically have to email me and say hey this is weird you can just add a tag on your own yeah and kind of communicate that way I'm curious what this mm -hmm. looks like. Like, what does your, like, um, I guess, is there an, on, like, there's an online interface, yeah. right? Um, so can we see the hierarchies or, like, how, what does that mm -hmm. look like? Yeah, um, the OPAC, so the online public access catalog, um, it shows subject headings in the records, um, and you can search by subject, or you can search generally, and it'll, Pull up anything that has that in the subject heading. Um, there isn't a lot of ways that we have with our open source free system to mm -hmm. display the full hierarchy. So my plan when we are um, more settled in the system is to publish the thesaurus um, on our website yeah. so people can look at it and help use that as a way to help. And we'll probably also print it out and put it up at the library or something. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Because, um, yeah, I don't think it... I don't think it, the OPAC really shows the terms in relation to each other. If you no. try to look at them. Although there's this very cool tag cloud with the things yeah. that people have tagged stuff. Yes, with. that's really fun. Yeah, which is fun. To it's fun, on. but it's also... Um, there's there's one tag that somebody did that's Libyan, not lesbian. Oh. <laughs> well, that's one of the problems with folksonomy. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I see it. Yeah. Libyan. Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> Which I kind of love, but also, oh no. But there's also things in here that probably would never get covered by a subject heading. Best cover. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think that one is in conjunction with a, with a Lambda Awards tag that somebody else was somebody went through and like tagged a bunch yeah. of lambda titles which that would be 
so much extra work for catalogers and nobody has expressly asked for that but it's so great to have somebody who wants to do that yeah yeah well, this is so exciting <laughs> yeah it's super exciting we'll put links up to all of that stuff on the the show notes and in the transcript so that people can click through and maybe everyone listening can tag a few things and then you'll have yes, more stuff please, to please do touched on like why is this work important for libraries but like did you want to speak more directly to it like um I think I feel like throughout you we kind of really touched on I think clearly there are a lot of examples for why it's important but if you wanted to add anything Mm. or tips you might have like somebody you know I work in a pretty big public library now right like and I am pretty far away from our um folks who do cataloging but what like what can people be learning are working in these other kinds of settings from what you're doing part of me thinks the the being separate from catalogers is like part of a problem Mm -hmm. that we're kind of siloing this work and I feel like the field kind of conceptualizes them as really separate while like the entire point of cataloging is to support how people in libraries are finding information. And I think more communication around that okay. is probably a really good idea. So um, I should send them the little emails and say, like, where's my non-binary subject? <laughs> That's what I'm hearing from you. <laughs> Maybe don't, told me to. <laughs> Maybe don't harass the catalogers. But, but also, I think, harass Library of Congress. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not harass, harass, but... But, yeah. But... I communicating them with them they you know form. they're constantly changing and there's so many people working there but some of the people working there are really trying to support improving things the best that they can in the place that they are so yeah. I think that's valuable oh I I, I only mm-hmm. skimmed some of the stuff you sent us like Emily Draminsky's mm-hmm. article but I think in there one of the you know sentences that popped out at me was about also like the need to have these conversations Mm -hmm. with people in the library right because even if like you said earlier we're updating subject headings or renaming things so they're not like so that we and users aren't stumbling across super racist terms in our catalog for example Mm -hmm. um like there's that education piece with users definitely um i was gonna yeah (laughs) i was like tell us more about about it because that's so, so important and that's a side that i don't personally see a lot but um, is so important is especially in systems where you can't change the like fundamental bones of what you have um, is talking to your patrons honestly and your coworkers honestly about the flaws in the system and why those are flaws and what to do about it um, that's a way of 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 pushing against the system and and not covering over its mistakes mm-hmm. um, and the ways that it harms people, um, so I've seen some really cool things, um, especially like with at Waywa at the First Nations Library at UBC where I work as a student librarian. Um, we have when we are training people on how to use UBC's catalog to find First Nations material, we talk about we have material from like hundreds of years ago and the words that were used can be incredibly offensive 
and if we want to find them, we have to use them. And so um, I think they have a bookmark or something that says basically uses what you would use for a search term that mm -hmm. includes, you know, Aboriginal and Indian and First Nations and Métis and back further into words that I'm not going to say <laughs> um, to show to show that like this is how you get to everything. But there's also like a hopefully a progression too. We don't we don't use those terms at UBC anymore. So that's one way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much yeah, for thank you. taking the time to join us. Thank you for emailing us and saying you wanted to talk about this. Other people listening, we would like you to email us mm -hmm. and tell us what you want to talk about. Because I we... think there's a lot of people that Alice and I know, but like we kind of gently stalk online and are aware <laughs> of and admire. But um, there's also a lot of things that we don't know about. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or cool projects like this that are happening, you know, a little bit behind the scenes. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um, if folks want to reach you or find out more about Out on the Shelves, where should they go? Or how can yes. they volunteer? Yes. Or get involved? <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you have any questions or want to volunteer, definitely email us at outontheshelveslibrary at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. We're also out on the shelves library at on Instagram and on Facebook. And then on Twitter, we're just at out on the shelves. Okay. <laughs> so we, we, we got the thing without library added on just for that one platform. And if you want to follow me. <laughs> Which um, everyone does. Aw, thanks. <laughs> um, my professional Twitter is not that professional. Um, and it's at obviously which is A-V-I underscore O-U-S-L-Y-Y. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Great, great Twitter handle. Um, for people who want to follow us, uh, we can be found on Twitter at OrganizingPod with a Z, not an S. Our email is OrganizingIdeasPod at gmail.com and our website is OrganizingIdeasPod.wordpress.com. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>